0: Welcome to Middle Church. I'm Jackie Lewis. I'm the senior minister here. Some of you are new. Raise your hand if it's your first time coming to church. Yay, we're so glad. Welcome, we're so glad you're here. Um, If you're online, is it your first time? Welcome, we're so glad you're here. Um, we are glad that you are uh, checking us out. We hope that you'll stay engaged with us um, at middlechurch.org. I think you know you can find all the things there. So it is Juneteenth and Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth! Happy Juneteenth! <laughs> Happy almost as free as we're gonna be, <laughs> Happy day. Uh, happy Father's Day to all those who parent, all those who father. We're so glad you're here. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff to do today for Juneteenth. Right after worship, Natalie, Renee, and I are gonna do a conversation about raising fierce love uh, in families, families as a site of revolution. So I hope that you'll stick around for that. I think it's gonna be helpful to all of us. After that, uh, at four o'clock, there is a Juneteenth program at the Ethical Society, New York Society for Ethical Culture, Sweet Honey in the Rock. It's, uh, the tickets go to support moms in Harlem who have lost their loved ones to gun violence. So please please do that if you'd like. At 5 o'clock, uh, Jeff Berman, our own Jeff Berman, has remixed our Juneteenth Now programs from the last two years. Gorgeous, best of type thing for you and your family to take a look at with new homilies from moi. So I hope that you'll do that. Finally tonight at seven o'clock at Lincoln Center is one more Juneteenth thing. It's like I dream a dream that dreams of me. Beautiful. Our Shanta Fake is now the musical artistic director of Lincoln Center, oh my goodness. And so this is gonna be a great program and I get to do a benediction at the end, but John and I are gonna be like, Three pavilions of beautifulness, and it is free. All you have to do is register and pop over there, okay? So that's a lot of words spoken quickly, because I speak quickly. (laughs) But let me invite you to take a breath with me now. Think of God's incredible goodness that we are here in Pride Month Celebrating freedom. Let us worship God together. We're going to have lift every voice and, sing. and sing stand, when and as you're able, and join. Us.
1: now time for the message for all of ages. If you are young or young at heart, could you please make your way up here? Or maybe you will just be me. Emily! I am young at heart, I am young at heart too. i do. Okay. So, as... <laughs> oh, look at God, look at God! <laughs> Okay, this is a super-duper-duper-duper-duper duper, duper, duper blessing. Hi. <laughs> All right, we only got a couple of minutes. So, we'll be... <laughs> so um, as was already said, today is uh, Father's Day, but it is also Juneteenth. So uh, for, for you, my young sir, this is what the Juneteenth map looks like. And I'll also show this to you, our on- online people. It was actually the first design and I'll just, I'll just show this real quick. Actually, it was just this simple one. And then they updated it as the holiday was um, proclaimed to add the actual date to it. Now, um, do any of you know what Juneteenth is?
0: The anniversary of when the Frick slaves were freed? Yes. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you. And why do we celebrate it? Anybody? Anyone?
0: <laughs> because we black?
1: Yes, <laughs> that's, you know, actually, thank you. Because, yes, because we're black. But also because <laughs> Thank you, Gina. But also because, yeah, it's because of, it is definitely, it's freedom, as, as you're aware, this was um, the, we, Juneteenth, which is June 19th, is because freedom came to the state of Texas two years after the Emancipation Proclamation in, 19, in 1863. I'm trying to use my age. But and that, and that is one of the reasons that Juneteenth, as it started to evolve and evolve, evolve, now it is now uh, officially, this year, a national holiday. Um, but also, if you, if we think about now that it's a national holiday, what people around, even in the U.S. and around the world, are, are we still free? Do we still feel that there's still work to be done? Yes. 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 And what type of work needs to be done? We need to
2: stop
0: fighting. To love each other. We need allies.
2: Thank you. <laughs> do we need do we
3: need some joy? Yes. yes.
0: yes. Uh, we need to understand our own bias and work to liberate ourselves from white supremacy. Yes. And we need policy change.
1: Amen to that. Amen to all of that. And we, and are there still people out there that are still struggling for freedom? And what do we need to do as a church and as a family? Great. Thank you. Thank you. So when we, when we celebrate this day and it is Father's Day, it's also, it is, um, as I said, it is um, Juneteenth. Let's think about those things as we move forward so that we can all come together to work together and in equality and love and in family and in peace. So let us say a prayer. Uh, So a quick little prayer, dear God. (laughs) Actually, thank you. Let us help to get up. So that we can work together to, work together. to, bring, joy, to bring joy equality, equality peace, peace love, love to keep fighting to keep, fighting, to keep striving, to keep striving for, our for our freedom and for everyone's freedom, for everyone's freedom. Amen. amen all right and let's see a humba our way out
2: See ya.
0: Kukan Yen Quinkles, Siambe Kukan Yen Quinkles. We
2: are marching in the land of God. We are marching in
4: Now will you stand with me please to pray the prayer that Jesus uh, prayed with his disciples in whatever language you know, whatever version you know. Ever-loving and holy God, In the words of Lucille Clifton, won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. (laughs) To all of you in person, to those of you online, peace be with you. Pass the peace with each other.
2: Not tomorrow
4: Today's scripture <sighs> comes to us from uh, Galatians 3 uh, verses 23 through 29 you can follow along with me if you have it but I'm gonna read it aloud so. now before faith came we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed therefore The law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be reckoned as righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek There is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: This passage in Galatians is one of those texts that has embedded in it a call to the world as we dream it can be. If we're dreaming a world, Paul ends this particular pericope with once we're in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. There's no male and female because the super identity that he believes God is calling us to is the identity that's in Christ. But we know we have not gotten to a promised land where there's no Jew and Gentile distinction, where there's no free and slave distinction, we, where there's no male and female distinction, this world operates in binaries. This world operates in binaries that sticks us into boxes and causes us to wound one another, To categorize and cast one another to put each other in a place, in our place, that is not about freedom at all. So let me just say the text today is faith, family, freedom. And I don't usually do a three-point sermon, but I'm filling one inside myself. So here here it comes, here it comes. Paul is writing to the church at Galatia a church becoming, a church perhaps like middle church right now, perhaps like the collegiate church right now, a church in search of identity, meaning belonging, vision, strategic planning, budget. All of those kinds of questions are being asked in this relatively new community. And inside this new community there is, uh, there are two battling forces. One battling force is God has a new word, a new thing, a new identity for all of us, and you can come just as you are as you get through the door and receive that blessing, receive that gift. And that gift is in Christness. Now, to be sure, in those days, the way to sort of publicly display that you have received this gift was baptism. Before we sprinkled babies, before we did, you know, soft touches of water, the newly converted to this religion, that is the religion of Christ, would literally take off their clothes and jump in the water, get baptized, get out of the water, put on some clothes, stop frightening people with their bodies, and the new clothing, the new outfit, symbolized the new life in Christ. The baptism was a little bit of a death and resurrection. For Paul, this was the only ritual needed. And in some way, he who is Jewish is saying the other kinds of rituals, practices, even the law that seemed to put us in right relationship with God, Paul is saying, actually, passe. Actually, not necessary. He's not, I don't think, intending to be anti-Semitic, but he is intending to be a reformer. He is trying to say, if you thought these 613 codes were going to make you free, you're wrong. Those laws, those 613 codes to keep us living well in community, were a placeholder, a pedagogue, like a a nanny, so to speak. Uh, Someone who would walk along with the children and make sure they got to school and got the lesson. That's what the word pedagogy comes from, one who walked with the little ones. Paul is saying this law, this law was a pedagogue to discipline us until faith came. And for Paul, faith came with Jesus. So faith. Faith is the thing that creates the new community, the new community that abolishes categories, the new community that disrupts caste, the new community that disrupts racism and white supremacy, the new community disrupts binary around gender, disrupts anti-queer, anti-trans policies and politics. The new identity begins with Jesus, faith in Jesus. And this is Paul's twist on that. Not, are you going to stand and confess you have faith in Jesus, but do you have faith in Jesus' faith? Can I say that again? Do you have faith in the faithfulness of Jesus? Do you have faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. And the word faith there is pistis in the Greek and it really means trust. So again, do you have faith in the trust of Jesus? You see how it's not really about you or me at all? It's really about Jesus. Faith in the one who trusted God enough to do all that he was asked to do by God, including die on the cross. Now, atonement, paragraph. I don't think Jesus was bossed around by God to die on the cross. I'm not saying that. I am saying that Jesus went all the way to the edge of his humanity, his capacity, to say yes to all the things that led to his death. Can you feel that? How that's different? Do we have faith that there is a rabbi named Yeshua ben Joseph who is Mary's boy, Joseph's kid, who went all the way to the mattress to stand up for love, all the way to the edge of comfort, acceptable, all the way, all the way to the edge, even to be willing to lay down his life to do what God called him to do? That's what Paul is inviting us to. Faith. Faith that there was a one who loved God enough to obey, to get jiggy with it, to do the tough things, to preach, teach, heal, to stand up against authorities, to say the hard thing, the hard truth, to call us in and out. Do we have faith in Jesus's faith? The second thing is, can we understand that we're family? He wanted the church in Galatia to understand that though they were countervailing for can't say that, countervailing forces, and what they were were this, there were some Jewish people who were becoming Christian, and these Jewish people who were becoming Christian thought the Gentiles, the the outsiders, couldn't become Christian unless they went through Judaism. They couldn't become Christian unless they... Went through Judaism. They couldn't become Christian unless they were circumcised. That was the big deal. I've never been circumcised, but I understand it's a big deal. (laughs) They couldn't become Christian unless they went through Judaism and the old categories and the old law and the old. Structures and systems, the ones that Jesus came to simplify. These one fourth of the teachers in Galatia was like, uh uh-uh, uh, you can't come into the reign of God unless you XYZ PQ. And Paul is saying all of those things are passe. You are family because Christ is your brother and you are wedded into, grafted onto the family of God. You're family. And in the family, in the family, there's nobody with hierarchy. God, you know. <laughs> Church? <laughs> Didn't really get that, did we? No. We like hierarchy. The first church took the hierarchy that was in Judaism, the priest on top, the Levites, the helpers in the middle, and all the other people down here can't even come into the sanctuary for real. And, and, we, and we, we duplicated that, right, with the pope and the bishops and all the things. Paul is saying, no, Equal footing for all the believers. The ones who've been Jewish, the ones who are Gentiles. The ones who are rich, the ones who are poor. The ones who are slaves, the ones who are free. The ones who are women, the ones who are men. The ones who are um, outside all become inside. The little ones, the lost ones, the left out ones, the queer ones, the straight ones the female ones, the trans ones, all of the ones are equal in this new family. And that, Paul says, point three, is what leads us to freedom. Because what he's saying is if we keep the categories of the world, we are never going to get free. If we continue to codify who's in and who's out, By the standards of the world, we are never going to get free. And let's be crystal clear on this Juneteenth, we're kind of free ish. We're free ish. We have so ensconced anti black racism in this world, not just this nation, that to be adjacent to black, to be a darker Chinese, to be a darker Latinx, to be a darker indigenous person, to have kinky hair as a Jewish person, all of these physiognomic features of blackness that get you a little bit black, get you a little bit oppressed. Because we are not free, we are free-ish. The church, the church has been baptized in white supremacy. And the church has not put on Christ without trying to keep on some oppression. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some, some oppression undergarments up in there, right? Some oppression spanks, right? She says as she pops hers. <laughs> Some oppression garments, which we're learning might pull us in a little bit, might make us lose a little weight, might keep our legs from hurting, might keep our veins cool. You know what the kind of garments I'm talking about. That undergarment of white supremacy that undergirds our whole culture also undergirds the church how we work, how we think, what we think is the way to make decisions, how we do polity, how we do policy, how we share resources, how we live and breathe in the name of Jesus is still hot and stinky with what could be seen as compression garments but are oppression garments living inside the skin of Christian folk. I have never in my life as a human being felt so clear about the ways that white supremacy, not white people, I'm married to a very nice white person, white supremacy is inside so many people of color because we can't help but take it in. We get up in the morning and brush our teeth, and we get dressed in it because it's right here. Right here on the news, in the books we read, in the media we consume, in the liturgies we practice, in the songs we sing, in what we consider to be beautiful and strong and powerful and good. It's right here, and God knows I wish I could take my clothes off right now to make a point. It might frighten you, though. I think our text today is inviting us to be free of the undergarments of whiteness. Like, what would happen if we let our bodies jiggle a little bit and experiment a little bit and play in the world a little bit? What would happen if we got out of the structures and queered our theology? Queered our theology, not just around LGBTQ, but yes, around LGBTQ, but also queered our theology around race and ethnicity. In other words, what would happen if we let go of the binaries that bind us? What would happen if white people owned their blackness, is what I'm trying to suggest. Since all of us are from Africa, I say all of us are from Africa, what would happen if white people in powerful positions just exegeted their own history to understand the root of who they are and queered their racial ethnic identity. Are you with me? Can you imagine the fruit of that kind of inquiry? A study that a white person would do, a white person who not our middle white people who, who are like always talking about race, but the people who are like, I'm post-racial, or I don't see race, or those folks, or, or also kill the black people because I still think they should die, those folks. What if instead there was an inquiry, a, a journey into the self, into the soul to say, my people are the black people. In the spirit of Ubuntu, I am they and they are me, and we are inextricably connected. What would happen if rather than denying quote, critical race theory, they took a deep dive into critical race theory, took their clothes off and jumped in the baptismal waters of critical race theory, if you will, so to speak, and understood how we got here so that their hearts were increased, so their minds were open, so their children would be converted to new ways of thinking. What would happen? What would happen? If white powerful institutions like the Collegiate Church or the Catholic Church or the Episcopal Church made studying race just as important as studying Jesus, who was a black man, what would happen if more congregations were like ours? Were we just Like, look at Nina Simone's Come Ye, and look at our multi-all-the-things cast of singers. Look at our multi-all-the-things cast of gospel choir. Look at this multi-all-the-things congregation of seekers and wrestlers and triers and fall-downers and get-back-uppers trying to get to the promised land together, to freedom together, and making mistakes along the way, but definitely queering, blurring, taking in each other's identity as our own, what would happen? I think we'd get freer faster. I think we could really change the way we talk about each other. I think we could harness enough shared multi-ethnic power to shut down white supremacist institutions like Fox News, I think we could harness our economic power to stop buying from white supremacist places like Chick-fil-A. I'm just saying, that's just one. Might even have to go to Amazon, you know, just to say. I think we could harness our theological power to build more spaces like this, where the conversation isn't just black and white, but we acknowledge it starts there, because it started there but we would sing and speak in tongues that are indigenous and Latinx and Asian and black and white together. This is my dream, this is my calling, this is what gives me a headache at night and wakes me up in the morning looking for joy, is the way racism in America is underneath all the stuff. So what are we gonna do? We gotta keep coming to this community and learning for and with each other. We gotta to go to the polls, they open up tomorrow. We have gotta study and read and learn so we know. We have gotta let go of the fake hierarchy crap that binds us and instead put on Christ. I'm gonna put on something. This is my collar. I don't know, it, it, it's the roots of a collar is that the clergy couldn't afford new clothes and so they use their collars and turn them around, no kidding. There's nothing fancy about this or holy about this. It was an economic problem. But I'm putting it on right now. Just as a symbol of putting on Christ. Can you put on something as a symbol of putting on Christ? I mean, anything, take off your jacket, put it back on, put your mask on, Take off your spanks when you get home, put it back on. <laughs> See how easy that was also? If, if reading Paul made you think you had to do it a special kind of way, then I made a mistake. Just wake up in the morning and put on something that reminds you belong to God. Pick something, your glasses, your lipstick, your undies, your shiny shoes, pick something that will remind you that you have been grafted into a family that is holy. And just exactly as you are, you belong to it. And God loves you and is counting on us to love each other, to love the hell out of this world. May it be so. Amen.
2: Oh.
3: If there's any gospel choir members that would like to come up and sing this closing number with us, you're welcome to come up. And you're welcome to sing with us too, if you would stand and take a look at your bulletin.
2: Your I going to know. I know.
0: and attitudes, right? And put on something fresh and loose Woo! and flowing yeah. yeah. so we can have room to innovate. Amen. So we can queer up our theologies. So we can complexify what it means, race in America. All those little mocha choka babies, you know? They're going to show us something different. And so we can queer up what power looks like. That's how we're going to get free, and we are going to get free. Amen? Yeah. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So, we just did that, and we're going to just sit down. And if you don't want to stay for the teaching, put your back, finger up, and walk on out. We will not, we will not school, it's okay, it's okay. Y'all can go, put your fingers up, do your thing. You all killed it today, <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> thank you band, thank you so much, thanks Jeremy. Okay, Natalie and I need like one minute to set up and then we're gonna go right into this teaching. Thank you all. Hi, graduating, Lucienne, so proud of you, proud of you. Okay. If you're staying, why don't you sit here, in the, like right in here, so we can just, yeah, see you better. Yeah. And um, we're in this mic, but if we also could be in the red mic. Yeah. If you're online, we're going to keep streaming. Just going to have a conversation. You. Does you see go down. Carl, will this one go down? Okay, mine?
4: Okay. Or I could just take it off and hold it. I'm fine with this.
0: Thank you, love. That's great. Maybe Natalie can use this one? Because she hers isn't okay. Okay. Thank you, Carl.
4: Uh, McGregor, firm, or? Um, yeah, sure. Where
0: you can hand it. Happy.
4: Yeah. It's good.
0: It's good. It's good.
4: I'm happy to hold it. Thank you. Okay. Hi baby. How are you? I love Hi, you.
0: It's great. I'm so I'm here. I'm here for a week, but I'm back. Yes. Like I'm gonna be in New York.
1: I'm so glad. And Great. people were like, what? I
0: you. Yes. Did you are me to work for this? Yeah. Yay. So. Yeah. Excellent. Uh-huh. But thank you so mm-hmm. for Thank that. you, sweetie. So and I, wore, I did wear mine. Sorry. I love it. See? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I totally had mine on yeah. and then left it at home. Oh, okay. It was a new one that, um, that oh. Gabby gave me. Oh, so okay. I'll, be, I'll be wearing that. You can wear that later. Mohammed, could you close Mohammed, could you close Mohammed? Joaquin, come say hi. Could you close the door? Thank you. Joaquin, come say hi. Come say hi.
4: Hi. Hi, online people. We'll be right with you. One sec.
0: Hi, everybody. We're going to do this. Okay. Okay. Hi. Hi. Thank you for sticking around. An online family, if you're still streaming this, uh, we are going to record this conversation as well. Um, It's our... It's an annual... It's an annual gig for us to offer a teach-in on King Day and a teach-in on Juneteenth. Um, And what we're trying to do is to just honor that if we're going to be in this revolution then we need to be um, learning some skills along the way, right? We can't just be talking about revolution. We need to learn some skills along the way. So I wrote a paper and sent it to Natalie. I don't always write a paper, but sometimes the PhD Jackie likes to write a paper. Um, and this this paper is um, raising, uh, Freedom Now, Raising Fierce Love. Freedom Now, Raising Fierce Love. And I'm gonna ask Ben to put it up as a PDF for us when we get through well, with today. Just, just gonna, um, Start at the top with a couple of highlights so that we can get to a conversation with Natalie at the 120 mark, okay? Okay. And we'll wrap at 130 per promise, yes? So one of my favorite quotes from Dr. King is, power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love? Love correcting everything that stands against love. Dr. King did not think of love as a mammy pammy, um, squishy, codependent um, moment, but rather a force, and I agree. Uh, the Reverend John Jenka, who I happen to be married to, um, said this recently love has taken a back seat to rage, to resentment, to hatred, to violence, to bigotry. Yeah. And the only antidote to this hot mess is fierce love. I've been thinking about my mother as my first pastor, how much I loved swinging as a child, getting in the swings with my sister Wanda. felt like flying. I was not, never afraid. I'm not risk-averse. So how hard could I pump my legs and how high could I swing? Yes, to the, to the swing set pumping out of the ground. And a couple times I fell out of the swing because I'm a little crazy in those days. And I was thinking about my dad's kind of nurturing spirit on this Father's Day, picking me up and bandaging um, knees and get, saying, get back in the swing. You know, get back in the swing. You can do this. You, don't be afraid. And that was really cool, but the best... Thing in the world was watching mom do everything, anything, um, powdering her face with the Too Light powder that disappeared into her skin. Uh, ultimately, Dixie Peach powder Too Light became okay. Uh, Avon lipstick samples, um, hairspray, uh, pink rollers, uh, turning into a beautiful hairstyle. And what I learned to do was to watch mom watch the world. In doing so, I took cues on how to look at the world around me. She made soup soup for sick neighbors. She stretched out the food on the dinner table for that latchkey kid who never had enough to eat. I learned watching her when to laugh, when to cry, how to feel about Kennedy and Kennedy and King being assassinated. Watching her was like reading a book on how to love my neighbor, the stranger, and the world as I loved myself. It's been five years since she died but her face was a window to her feelings and therefore permission to feel mine. So I really miss that. Mm. Especially as the way COVID continues to rampage itself around the globe, and we're getting careless. Two of our staff are out sick right now to COVID. The gun violence epidemic continues to terrorize our nation. There's been 63 mass shootings since Buffalo. And that was yesterday. So far, it's been two a day. It's unbelievable, and they're not all in the news. In the news is a boy driving through a neighborhood with his white friend and getting accosted by adults. Get out of here. Sanford, Florida. Get out of the neighborhood. Get out of there. You don't belong here. It's unbelievable how tenacious racism is our nation. And as the January 6th Commission tells us more of the horror of that day, the deniers continue to act like it was a protest. I just I don't, have, I don't have words. My grief is intense. And, you know, Ben knows these words well. I'm sick and tired of the way black grief is a threat and white rage is a sacrament. We are this nation. We are this nation where sometimes, Natalie, I feel like all of our children are a threat. Black ones, white ones, Latinx, Indigenous, Asian children practice drills in their classroom. Mm -hmm. You've seen the interview, right, guys, of the man who survived the shooting in Nuvalet? And let's honor our Spanish speaking friends by saying, Uvalde. He told his children to get under the desk and pretend to be asleep because that's what he was taught to teach them. And it left them sitting there as targets for this murderer. These parents who had to have their cheeks swabbed to identify their children. This is is what's happening in our nation right now. And the fact that race is underneath the gun conversation, and that we won't talk about it because we don't want to know it, that the militia, the so-called militia that needed to be armed with slave patrols to recapture my ancestors, the police, modern policing, is a holdover. a legacy of that. Our gun laws is a legacy of that. And all it takes is wisdom and knowledge to know that, and that might change the way people think about guns, but we can't talk about it, because it might change the way people think about guns. The God-given right to bear arms, as opposed to noticing and knowing that its legacy is stuck in white supremacy. We have the Klan because of white rage. We have the truth on this Juneteenth is that the day that those enslaved Africans were made free in Galveston, Texas, as they were leaving the plantation, many of them were murdered because their masters did not want them to be free, Mm -hmm. better dead than free. Every time the universe moves toward freedom for blacks, the response is white violence. So you have an Emancipation Proclamation, and you have a Civil Rights Act. The first Voting Rights Act, Civil Rights Act, was during Reconstruction. And then those white disenfranchised people who lost their way, lost their way of life, refused those freedoms on the black folks. And so therefore, a campaign of lynching and terror And then again, when the universe moves toward freedom in the 60s, and those civil rights acts, the response from white rage is another campaign of terror and violence. There are too many examples to cite in a short time. But I would suggest, if you're listening, watching you, subscribe to the Equal Justice Initiative. They have a historic page every day, and every day you'll get in your inbox a note that you should know about what happened in history on that day. So you all have heard my story um, that I was raced when I was in kindergarten. Most people know I was a kindergartner in New Hampshire when little Miss Lisa moved from Mississippi and stage whispered to my little white boyfriends because they were only white boys to be friends with. Why are you sitting next to that nasty N-word? Don't you know her mother, her, her her mother? she gets chocolate milk from her mother's tits or something like that. And whatever it was she said was so nasty, I didn't quite understand it. What? Milk comes out of tits? Who knew? And also, what's an N-word? Like, what? Mm-hmm. It was just too much, right? But I knew that it was ugly. and I knew it was meant to hurt me. And when I went to tell my mom and dad, they had two reactions. One was my mother was like, that's so silly, and we're going to pray. And my father was, that's so vile, I'm going to the base commander to demand reparations and an right. apology. And that's how you end up being Jackie. Prayer and reparations. There we go. That's it right there. Thanks for sharing. Um, I'm going to skip some of this now to just get to your story. How, how, when's the first time you know, your ears heard the N-word and knew that it was about you? and knew that somebody thought you were nasty and less than and terrible and horrible because your skin is brown or black or dark black? And when's the first time you, black friends, heard, got it clear that you're cute for a little black girl? You and your sister are cute for black girls, for dark-skinned girls. How many times did you go to a party as a teenager as a dark-skinned black girl and the blue light is on you, and you look linty, and the boys think you're ugly because you're too dark, especially too dark in the blue light.
2: Where your teeth glow.
0: Where your teeth glow. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's a way in which race has shaped my childhood, and therefore my adulthood, because my childhood shapes my adulthood. And one of the things that I want Natalie and I to talk a little bit about is having been shaped by race as black women, what's the legacy of that in our lives? How does that inform how we'd be grown-ups? And what would be what we wish would happen in parenting now across race and ethnicity, to raise up generations of children who will not race each other and who instead will heal the world? Natalie, I'm going to stop there and see if we can talk.
4: I, could, I took notes. You know me. I, like I to. know you did. I, know. <laughs> I took
0: notes. And I, like, I took some notes. Um,
4: I, so the first thing that came to mind while I was hearing you talk is um, <coughs> when you were talking about swinging.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And I, I, I just couldn't, I started to think about adventurous and assertive children, mm. Right, like that's what, I, that's what I hear from you being like, and I, I was swinging, you were swinging for the fence. Like you were like, I know that's for baseball, but you know, like you were really, and, and what, what do your parents, right? What do black parents teach their children about um, who are assertive and adventurous versus what do white parents get to teach their children about being assertive and adventurous, right? Like it just makes me wonder um, I, um, Jackie knows I'm just going to say this out loud that I one of my side effects of COVID that I've had twice is brain fog so I'm not going to remember names but I know that you have an awesome memory so yes. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking like Tamir Rice right now right. yeah who's just being a kid outside playing yeah. 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 right playing with a, with a toy gun which that's a whole other conversation we can have but In a way that you, you know, just being a kid, like being adventurous and like doing the things that he sees and and it ends his life. Like that ends up getting, um, I don't want to blame it on, on the kid, but the actions of these police officers and how they see black bodies is translated differently because of an adventurous and assertive kid, right? All of the black children, there's so many countless, I, I don't even have to bother to tell you names, right? Because there's so many countless stories of teenagers who were stopped by police because they're driving their parents' car or there's something on the, the windshield mirror, or whatever, that, I don't drive y'all, I don't know. Or, um, you know, like whatever, like there's a license thing or something that ends up really um, violently because that kid is assertive and was like, why are you stopping me? And this doesn't make sense. And so I'm, I don't feel safe. I'm not going to do something different. And then we end up with these stories. Now y'all know good and well that there are also teenagers who one, don't get stopped who are white. And if they do get stopped and mouth off, there's a whole thing. A friend of mine um, loves to tell me a story about um, how she is a white female in, I want to say, North Carolina, so she's a white uh, teenager, um, would have the police bring her home. Like, something would happen, they would get in trouble or whatever, and the police would be like, oh, they're just being kids. And, you know, so th- there's just a, a there's a thing there for me about, like, how, how our kids, um, how it's insidious, right, how it's in the water that we swim in and what, um, particular children are allowed, how they're allowed to grow into their fullness of themselves.
0: I think that's such an important point you're making there, Nat. Um, the, the, the news that is out now about a shooting in Chicago of a 13-year-old hmm. uh, who was in a gas station, literally turned around, hands up, and the police still shot him. He's alive, but may never walk again. Shot him in the back. So, shot him in the back, meaning he's turning again, meaning <clears throat> t- the, the way black girls, remember a couple of years ago, the little girls that were at a swim party in a yellow bikini is all I can remember, the way they treated that baby girl like a woman. Black children are adultified and stigmatized and objectified and seen as the threat, whereas white children, and I'm just going to do white for now, um, that same kind of behavior you're saying, Natalie, would be sort of like amplified and celebrated. My mom and dad were like, do not be sassy. Mm-hmm. Why? Because mm-hmm. if you sass me, you're going to sass somebody else and they're going to kill you. Exactly right. My grandbabies, bless their hearts, are being taught to speak up. Like, what do you think? What, I, when I was a little kid, Nat, and I, I didn't have this, our analysis that we would have now as grown women, but I could see the difference between the kids in my high school's parents and my parents, the kids in my grammar school, mixed schools, both parents, my parents were like, sit down, shut up, be quiet. Their parents were like, Penelope, what would you like for dinner? You know, or, or, or what would you like to wear? <clears throat> these, these kinds of, and I wanna say, y'all, short on time, this kind of parenting where children are taught to use their voice, to have a say, to be seen and heard, to have a choice, Cheerios or cornflakes, you know, math or geometry or science, those kinds of children grow up to be CEOs. They early learn to trust their voice, to trust their ingenuity, their creativity. They end up becoming CEOs, entrepreneurs, scientists, artists, because their parents fanned imagination. And if black parents are fanning imagination and their sassy child gets out of the car, that's their fear. That the child with the confident, imaginative child is the one that's going to mouth off to the cops. So look at how, look at how racism is going to keep repeating itself so that the generations of children who will be the ones who feel confident and expressive and jump out there will not look like me. And it's-, it's
4: in our, um, I think that we have this idea that like once we change this generation, we'll be good, right? Like our children are learning different. I was, the earliest memory I have about, about being raised was second grade, I think. We were, what happened? Watching, we were watching this, um, I went to a private school, so with a lot of um, mostly white children. My best friend was Greek. Okay. Kiki Giannakis. Mm-hmm. And um, we were watching something in second grade, and at this particular school when we watched a little video, like a health thing or something, we got to choose wherever we sat in the classroom. You could watch it from wherever. And we chose to sit under our desks. I don't know. We were so excited to like, lay under our desk and watch this thing. The beginning of the video, there was this little boy, this little black boy, who was like, riding his bike somewhere. And she turned to me and she was like, oh, do you like him? And I did, I, it, had never occurred, it had never occurred to me, first of all, I guess, to like, Okay, like whatever, but then like the second thing was, oh, I'm supposed to like him because he's the same color as me. I'm supposed to like him because he's black. So that was the first time that it that it occurred to me that I was supposed to be something different, yeah. right? Yeah. And and luckily, the the memory, the the earliest memory that I have is kind of innocuous. Like it it didn't, as far as I know, do me any like ill-harm, but it, it was a divider for me in that moment, and, and it had clearly been one for her for all this time that we had been besties, right, as, for two years of school. Um, but even now, right, that's still happening. An example from, what, Thursday? Mm-hmm. When I was in line in, in Harlem, in my little blackity-black neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, and it's, you know, like Harlem, CVS, Dwayne Reed, Walgreens, y'all know, like, um, it was a Dwayne Reed, and it was busy, which happens, right? You get to Dwayne Reed at a certain time in the day, you know it's gonna be on and popping. And behind me were two white teenage boys. And um, I am pretty darn clear that they are visiting, like staying at an Airbnb or something with their family. And they made a comment about how slowly it was moving in that, um, that Dwayne Reed, oh, it's so slow, it's taking forever. And they're standing right behind me, and one of the guys says, CP time. Ooh. And the other kid says, um what does he say i think central central uh pacific time or something like he tries to make it a joke like that's not really what we're talking about Mm -hmm. so there's a way this is what i mean there's a way in which this thing is trying to be really insidious right they knew what they were doing they knew Mm -hmm. they were surrounded by a lot of black people and they wanted to to say this thing to each other but couldn't let it rock right Right, they can't just see, say CPT surrounded by all these black people. Right. But if they but they pretend it's about something else, like we don't know, right? Right, like like we're stupid because that's one of the things—the arrogance of teenagers. Yes. <laughs> God bless them—is that you learn a lot of things you think you know the things, but so they were trying to. And so this is what I mean. Like it's it's still a generation, even beneath that, and beneath that, and beneath that, that's being taught that there is a difference here
0: yes,
4: between right. these people right. and us. And you us. know.
0: Yeah. Nat, Yeah, and I think what, what's really deeply troubling to me is the ways that it's different is stuck in the children of color, too. Mm. It's very subtle, but it's in there. My little nephew is um, African-American and uh, Filipino, and the, both of the children just look more like, you know, Brown jeans are strong, you know? So the children look more like me and, and like us, like our color and features, actually. But their mom is Filipino, their dad is black, and RJ plays on a basketball team with Filipino boys. So I'm going to go there, too. You know, Filipino people have quite generously drunk of the white, person, white supremacy Kool-Aid, right? So it took Rodney's father-in-law forever to accept him, but the little Korean kid, uh, Filipino kids, sometimes treat RJ like he's not quite them, because he's not quite them, and that is inside him, as colorism, right? And think of all of the little black children. Who live in integrated spaces? I think that's harder than black children who live in all-black spaces. I think in the all-black space, Ruby Sales might say there's a kind of village of protection, and you know, no matter our class, no matter our earning power, no matter our vocation, whatever, this black village is is you know loving on all the kids. But I think when when black children are adjacent sometimes to white or Latinx, Greek, Asian, I think sometimes there's more wounding inside the soul because there's more, um, there's an adjacent comparison. There's, uh, it's in your face in a way. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I think, well, you know, like, um, as we've all worked on um, here at Middle, it's an approximation thing, right? Like. And the goal is not to be black, right. so in the the and this goes back to like even um, the beginnings of I'm just going to say the beginnings of our country, let's start right. there, right Like yeah. how far away can I get from this one group that I know is despised, yeah. right? So everybody else wants to be white, yeah. you know right. Um, right. so then I do I am curious about the children who end up in the liminal space of that, yeah. like in the in the middle, betwixt yeah. in between, um, my nieces who are here in New York. Um, this weekend walking around with their very black auntie and, and daddy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, one who, you know, doesn't really like her curly hair or thinks it's frizzy or you know what I mean? Right. So there's just like a, an, I think maybe a confusion. Is that yeah. the right word around how to be fully who who they are? You know, like I heard, heard you talking about your grandchildren who were like, what box do I check? Like, how do I claim all of, all of the things that make me up, right? Um, yeah. And part of that is just like what information gets out and how does it get to places, yeah. you
0: know? Yeah. And, and the information piece, right, Nat, is there are so many books, mm-hmm. you know, from um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o's book, um, which I'm not going to say the title, but look it up. There's only one her. Beautiful book of her chocolatey, chocolatey child self and what it meant for her to be in a family where there are different shades of black and how she comes to understand that her black is so incredibly beautiful. Books like that, the book I wrote, You Are So Wonderful with Multicultural Cast of Kids, Um, there there are beautiful books now by black men about for black boys and claiming their space and their power. So just go to Books for Black Children and you will find that. However, there has to be an equal response in parents who are not black. So I'm thinking about Asian parents acknowledging the history of racism between Asians and blacks. If you're listening and you're Asian, like there there are decades of dissonance, of conflict, between Asian people and black people, like why? Can we think about that together? Can we think about that together and <clears throat> work to dismantle that? Because if it's inside you, your child is gonna pick it up. I mean, I'm watching my mom for cues and I'm, I'm getting the message. Mommy was black from Mississippi and walked past the school to go to the colored school and crossed streets from black, white people and like, I can't look you in the eye. But something inside her was, I am not gonna teach my children racism or prejudice. Like I am not gonna teach my children that white people are the devil. I'm not gonna teach my children to look at white people and be afraid. She was intentional about raising us to love all the people. Daddy got a little more anger. We'll come back to that. But mom was very intentional about, here's what it looks like, these are your friends, let me set a table, et cetera. White parents need to do the same kind of thing for their children if they want to be in the movement for love and justice. What are you going to expose your child to? What kind of books are they going to read that are about black people? Get a black doll. You know, get some black G.I. Joes. Get some black books. Get some black puzzles. Um, Take your child to black museums. And not mixed. Y'all got, there's some overcoming to do. (laughs) You know? So, like, to steep your child... In, black, in jazz, in blues, in gospel music. Uh, jazz as the only really American music. I think there's a whole curriculum that needs to happen for parents that are not black to raise revolutionary children who understand that this, this world is diverse, and you need to be a part of it, because you've learned early how to own it. I think that's, does that make sense? hmm mm-hmm. or,
4: or I, I went to D.C. Um, what was that last weekend? Yeah. For the march, march for our lives, and went to um, the museum there. Yeah, oh. National Museum of African American History and Culture. And I, this is my third time going. I try and go once a year, but because of the pandemic, I, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years I haven't been able to go. And I was blown away at the, um, the mix of of attendees.
0: Yeah.
4: Yeah, it's very different than when I went before, and and I and I applaud that.
0: Yeah, you saw more more parents, yeah. non-black parents
4: there. Yeah, there was there matches. was a lot of white folks yeah. in that museum, yeah. just period. A yeah. lot of white folks, um, and I was like, okay, well, look, we're doing, you know, doing, doing a thing. the thing. I really appreciated that, yeah. um, and I would add to that because they are doing this whole thing where they're trying to teach the thing, um, as you're saying, and exposing them to the thing. And I think the other side of that, or in addition, in addition rather to what we're already saying about adventurous and assertive children, is um, when you when you um, arm them with knowledge, right? Also arm them with, um, and they already are in this assertive space. If you are uh, raising a white child specifically, um, how do you help them know how to use that assertiveness in a way that can be helpful for dismantling systems when they see them in front of them or at least questioning the system? Like how how can they say, you know what, I have a lot of, Disney princesses that are white. Are there any that aren't? Or you know, or whatever, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Like yeah. very, very easy examples that are happening because it's
0: just the water we swim in, yeah. right? That's really good, Nat. yeah. That's a good. You know, I definitely cribbed off of Amanda's raised imagination when I was thinking about raising fierce love. Um, trying to write... So this book, y'all, my book has a chapter in here that could be good for families and thinking about this, but I think what Nat is pointing to is a kind of... Uh, hermeneutic or something to give our children of, of to suspect to suspect anything that looks like injustice, to have a critique of what looks like injustice, to <clears throat> help your child value diversity. You, you, they're watching you. So if all your friends are white and all your white friends are trying to talk about race, hmm, you know, <laughs> if you live in an all-white neighborhood or send your child to an all-white school, you know, hmm, mm-hmm. if your child is in an all white church, I'm saying no matter what you say, what you do yes. will raise a hermeneutic of suspicion about all white spaces. Our friend Rob Stevens, if it's an all-white space, we should suspect it. So I think that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also setting a table as young as they are, um, to know color and talk about color. We don't mm-hmm. want a color blind society. No. That's not what we're talking about. So your child is already saying, oh, you know, Kiki, was that her friend? Kiki. Kiki has a certain kind of hair or a certain kind of skin color. Tell me about, describe Kiki for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, it sounds, what kind of food does Kiki's family serve? Uh, you know, what kind of music do they listen to? Foster an imagination of welcome by not pretending that all the things are the same, mm-hmm. but instead evoking because they're gonna ascribe, they're gonna know it and ascribe meaning to it. So why not have them ascribe your meaning to it? Sounds like that red-haired boy is was back outside again. You know, the, ask him what's his favorite dinner. Let's make his favorite dinner. Like small things like that start building a kind of imagination of a world of diversity.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: I'm looking at you like, did you want to add something right there?
4: <laughs> I do. I just was really thinking about okay. Kiki, <laughs> 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 who also was because she was. She's brown, like she wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. fair skinned. She is she was brown and she had like long dark hair and I'm just I'm just now thinking about how she existed at that school because we mm-hmm. were probably a very few mm-hmm. number of darker children, right? Yeah. Like and where did she feel like she ever fit and just right. her asking that question, would she have ever seen herself right. in that okay. same health Little movie that we watched, you know, like there was there ever going to be somebody who looked like her, or yep. you know what I mean? Yep. So it's just fascinating to me. I'm um, um, also thinking about something else you talked about in um, when we make any moves towards dismantling. There's always like a backlash yes. of white violence, and how we we see it very easily when it's lynchings mm-hmm. or when it's like um, when there's when there's danger attached to it that we can that's obvious. We don't see it as easily when it's like, let's erect this statue, right. you know? Violence. Let's name this school, let's, right. you know what I mean? Those are all still very violent things that are rooted in in whiteness and white supremacy and, and holding, like, you know, staking our claim and like holding tight, and it's all operates, me and Jackie like to talk about operating out of abundance rather than lack, and it's all out of this whole thing that's happening, I think, on a, on a, on a, a News entertainment channel that I shall not name, that's talking about um, what is that? What is that phrase they're saying? Um, the Great Replacement or something? Oh yeah, the, the Great, great replacement. replacement theory. Oh yeah. That's operating out of a place of lack, right? That there's not enough. There's not enough. The pie. It's not pie, right? There's there's enough for all of us. There's, we're not going to run out. Um, but that's based on. Um, them, are being in an, an abundance for them at all times, and now having to reconcile with, oh, I should have been sharing all along.
0: Like, you know, when you say that, you know, you know that I'm, you know, who who's listening? Who knows? Hi, if you're listening, um, you know, in the collegiate church right now, there's a there's certainly a a, a scarcity of resources vis-a-vis what used to be, uh, but I can feel that my particular 18-year tenure that has a certain earning power Mm -hmm. threatens this system. And it threatens this system, hello if you're listening, in a time when I am 100% convinced that if I was a white man, it wouldn't be the same feeling Mm. of what what I should be able to expect. Mm. And call me if you see this and you want to talk about it, because I've been trying to call you. Um, who, it is really hard to think about um, when things are scarce. Yes. How we feel about Black people being successful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Paradise Square. Everybody, Hello. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Everybody saying amen, right? And go see the show, Paradise Square. If 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 when things are tight, black women's, I was like thinking about Viola Davis and that video that's gone around about her where they're saying, you know, you're, you're like the black Meryl Streep. Oh, I did Yeah, oh, it's great. Just do, just do Viola, Meryl Streep. And she's like, well, if I am the black Meryl Streep, pay me. <laughs> <laughs> pay me. And I, I really am trying to, I'm not talking about like, I need to get paid more. I'm really saying, Black success threatens white power. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And black women's success threatens white power more. Mm. Because the man's supposed to make a little more money because he's got whatever, whatever. So all of these things, right? Uh, All of these snippets, all of these are snippets, uh, anecdotes in a way of something that is systemic and pernicious. And what we wanted to do today was to just scratch a little surface, just scratch the surface on what it would be like to raise a revolution, to raise a revolution grounded in fierce love for white parents and black parents and indigenous parents and Latinx, Hispanic parents and Asian parents to collude together, to cease and desist, not talking about race at the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Talk about race at the kitchen table. Talk about color at the kitchen table. Ask your child to say, What did you notice today on the news? You know, pick a thing to watch that is age appropriate. Look at uh, Encanto. You know, that is the best. Mm-hmm. I could watch that every day. But the panop- panop- Panoply, I can't say the right, is that the right word, Panoply of colors, of Hispanic folks. The chocolatey man that speaks Spanish and the light skinned woman that speaks Spanish. That movie is meant to teach something about color and race. Watch it with your child and say let's talk about what you saw. Don't pretend like your child isn't getting cues from commercials, Mm -hmm. from music, from books, from teachers on the playground about race. You might as well be your child's race tutor. Because they're being tutored. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you would just take that on as part of being your child's pedagogue, your child's teacher, uh, to give them a hermeneutic about race as something beautiful created by God? Mm -hmm. Or better, there's one race called human, but the ethnicities are created by God as something to delight in. Amen. Amen?
4: Amen. All right.
0: Mm -hmm. More soon. We're going to be talking about this all the time, because that's how we roll. Thanks for coming. Bye.
4: Bye, y'all. Thank you all.